Alrighty, now Brother Fish has asked me to talk to you tonight about the subject of marriage. And I want to read to you uh, just a couple of readings. First of all, Job chapter 2. Please look at verse number 7. I realize that many of you tonight will be well acquainted with these stories. And uh, I really just want to use them as a jumping off point, a launching point to uh, a truth that I hope will help you and to help you in your marriage particularly. Verse number 7, Job chapter 2 says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes and said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? The Bible says, In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now, I want you also please to have a look there in Genesis chapter number 16, if you are open there and... I want you just to visit with me another little incident with an, another couple, as it were. In Genesis chapter 16, in verse number 3, Bible says, And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. You know, it's, it's reasonably easy to read the words on the page and to kind of perhaps uh, read them in some sterile sense, uh, perhaps not enter into what it would have been like. But I, I wonder, had we shared the tent next door, and as we were in our tent, we, we overheard that night the, the Abrams having an argument. She was accusing him of doing wrong, and she was blaming him for this thing that they'd done together. I, I wonder what we would think if we if we had been listening in, and and I wonder how we would respond to that, or, or perhaps if we had been living in the tent next door to the Jobs, and uh, we just happened to be there, and they were speaking a little loud that night, and we heard her say, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? And we'd listen to that. I wonder what we would think. I guess, depending on our own level of hypocrisy, we may have judged them somewhat. We may have said, well, you know, they he used to be the richest man in the East, you know. Used, used to be very, very uh, spiritual. Did you hear what they said? It's a little bit shocking to hear that from a couple like that, don't you think? Or maybe we would have uh, uh, made some similar comment. If we, if we'd been privy to, to enter and to listen, uh, closely to what Abram and Sarai were saying, and maybe we would have remarked, well, uh, not the kind of thing I would have expected from the patriarch that God called to leave everything. Hardly would have thought that, that, uh, his wife would be saying those kind of things. 
And we, we may have, we may have been tempted to make a judgment on what we heard and, and we may have been tempted to make some comment and I'm sure there's some who would have quickly rushed to tell somebody else what they heard. But the truth of it is, most of us know and fewer of us admit that we've all had moments something like that in our married life. You know, being a spiritual heavyweight does not immune anybody from the kind of adverse situations that can confront your marriage. And when that happens, it immediately challenges the nature of your Christianity. Now, I don't know about you, but if I could choose between having to face adversity outside the home or face adversity within the home, I would always rather face adversity outside the home. I I would rather that if something was going to go wrong and test me, if something was going to happen that was that was going to cause me a certain amount of stress or testing or worry, or, or, or maybe a little apprehension and maybe even the level of a little fear. I would much rather that that would happen outside the home somewhere because somehow it seems if, if I can have peace in my home and, and if I can have quietness in my home, I found that I can almost deal with anything out there as long as I can come home to the peace and quiet of the home. But if, if you have a certain measure of adversity, not outside, but inside, it seems that almost anything that happens outside, you have trouble coping with. And I believe it explains the reason sometimes that that we will meet people and we will say, you know, just seemed a little bit touchy. Just seemed to react a little bit there. You know, what, what's wrong with, with him? What, what's wrong with her? That sort of, uh, it just didn't warrant that kind of response. Or, or maybe we look at somebody going through a certain external trial and we judge them and think, you know, honestly, brother, this is not a big thing. You, you should be able to handle this better. In, in, in fact, it just seems that you are somewhat weak when it comes to handling these things. And, and the truth of it is, maybe we don't realize that they are struggling with the external adversities because they have an inward adversity happening right in their home. And when you have adversity in the home, it challenges you at the core of what you believe, and it challenges you to the very nature of what you have in the marriage relationship. Now, I believe that adversity and trials of different kinds will visit every home, and every marriage, without exception. I do not believe it's possible to get to a level of spirituality where you do not have to deal with any measure of adversity in the home, that somehow you can keep it all outside. And I want to say to you the reason I believe that is that I think there's a a biblical principle that starts in Genesis and goes all the way through that shows us that adversity in the home is to be expected. Now, the Bible says the marriage relationship is a special one. And the Bible, the Bible takes the marriage relationship of man and woman and elevates it to a, a somewhat unique level. It tells us that this is a relationship, the, the, the coming together of a man and a woman in marriage and that unique love that they are to have one for another 
It is a God-ordained thing. It is not merely some social quirk that we picked up on that made it more comfortable for us to live. But this is something that God himself ordained. And I don't know if you've thought about it, but but it's not. It's just a few special things that we could say are God-ordained. And if you want to look at structures or or uh, 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 organizational structures that God has brought to be, there's just a few. You could look at government and say, God has ordained it so. You could look at the local church and you could say, God has ordained this thing so. And then you could come down to another level and you have to hit the marital relationship and say, here again, we have one of those unique things that God ordained to be. There's a certain sacredness to it. There's a certain mystery to it somehow in this uh, ordination of love. When a man and a woman come together in such a unique way, they, they mysteriously reflect the relationship of Christ in the church. And, and there is no doubt that the marriage relationship is a God-ordained love. Now, we see something in the Bible about every love that is God-ordained. And I would say to you that there is a biblical pattern that every God-ordained love must be tested. In fact, every true love has to go through a season of testing and trial to authenticate itself as being true and real and from God. Now, there's a pattern here. You can, you can, you can look at the, the beginning and you go back and you find that the love that was to be there between God and man and understand that God made man. God, God did not make man to be just a servant. God had servants. God was not lacking in servants. God made man because man was to be unique and, and God wanted a free will man to to will and to want to express love to God. And God did things that just seemed so human. God went and God walked with man and God's desire was that man would love God. And But here's the thing, a love like that cannot go untested. If it isn't, if it isn't tested, then it's not authenticated. And so God could not make man and put him in an environment where there would be no test of that love. And so what God did, God placed one tree and said to man that that this one, this is the one you're not to eat of. And man was expected to demonstrate his love to God by continual obedience. And every day that went by that man did not eat of that tree, he was expressing by his conduct I love you. And that test had to be there. It authenticated the realness of the love that was there. Every God-ordained love must be tested. And then the day came that man failed that love test and man chose to love something else and somebody else above God. And then that did something unique. It, it sent us into a spiral of sin and degradation. But, but more than that, now it became a test of God's love. Because every God-ordained love has to be tested. So man's love was tested and it was shown where that was at. 
Now God's love had to be tested and, and God had to demonstrate that, that His love was authentic and His love was real and God passed the love test by, by, by not casting man away and not sending him off because any true love has to be continuing. And a love that casts away the object that it says it's love is no true love at all. A, lo- a love that, that has a pretense of being a real love, but says you can do something to somehow stop me loving you was never a God-ordained love in the beginning. You see, see, a God-ordained love can be rejected, but it can never be stopped. And God responded to that love test by by loving man regardless and and uh, by providing a way and covering his sin and providing a saviour and, and God demonstrated his love. And we saw that, yes, God doesn't just speak of love. God's love has been tested and God's love has been put on trial. And we, we've seen that the mercies of God have met us and God has showed us what he didn't need to show us. God has showed us he truly, truly loves us. And when it was tested, he still truly loved us. Say, what are you saying? I'm saying every God-ordained love must be tested. It is not authenticated until it has been tested. And then you you get down and you see the relationship of God and man, and and then you come to that that, um, that other sacred relationship in the Bible, and that was the relationship of the Son to the Father. And once again, Jesus professed a love to the Father and Jesus spoke of the Father's love and Jesus spoke of his uh, dedicated love to the Father. But mere words are never enough. If it's a God-ordained love, it has to be tested. And it was tested. And you can, you can visit the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can find the number of times that he was confronted with decision-making, not entirely unlike the decision-making that Adam had to make. And the Lord Jesus Christ had to have his love tested. And you find that in in Matthew chapter 4 when he was led out and and the Spirit of God led him to a place. And he was there and he knew what the will of the Spirit of God was. He knew what the Father wanted him to do. And yet an alternative came along. Another offer. Another opportunity. And it was a testing. Is this love you speak of truly authentic? And Jesus demonstrated his love for the Father was indeed God-ordained and real and authentic at its very core by the decisions he made there. And you can follow the Lord Jesus Christ through and you can visit uh, Gethsemane and you can get there and you can realize then that once again, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the face of adversity, in the, in a, in a, in a moment of, 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 of uh, wounding and, and difficulty, once again, in uh, that situation, his love for the Father was being tested. And again and again and again, we're pleased to say that Jesus authenticated that love by the decisions he made and by the actions he took. But it doesn't stop there. Oh, we could, we, it's not enough for a, for a Christian to look at that. We're told that we too are to have that kind of love and we speak of the love that we're to have to the Saviour and we write songs about the love we're to have to the Saviour. And, and once again, words are much easier to say than actions to demonstrate. 
And we can say, oh, how I love Jesus, and we can talk that way, but but if this is a true God-ordained love, then again, it has to be tested. It's never enough to just say, oh, I I love Jesus. No, that will be tested. And Jesus himself, he he taught that principle. He, He explained to us that, that it wasn't just what we said, but it was what we did. There was a, there was a way that we could measure our love. There was a way that we could see, is it truly authentic? He said in John chapter 14, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. That's, that's how you can know. No, not, not, not just the song. Not, not just, not just the words, not just the expressions that you say around the brethren. No, no, Jesus said, no, if this is a true love, it has to be authenticated. And the test will be this. The test will be if you say that it's a true love, then you will demonstrate that by the fact of keeping his commandments. He said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And so, in the Christian life, we understand in good times and in bad times or times of adversity. In times of adversity, we're like him. In Matthew chapter 4, we may find ourselves in a moment of weakness. You know, Christians are too fond of pleading excuses for disobedience. We have created a culture of excuses. We, we, we have learned that if, if we do wrong, it could be anyone's fault, but it certainly would not be mine. Perhaps it's mother or father or someone else, and, and, and it's easy to, to just kind of look for an excuse there, but, 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 the, but the Christian, the test here, is in what we do in a moment of weakness. And brethren, even what we do in a moment of wounding. And Jesus Jesus had all that. He authenticated his love through testing. Now how can we say how can we say that we love God and how can we say that we love the Lord Jesus Christ and and we claim a a divine work in our life and we say we're born again by the spirit of God and and we give God the credit for, how how can we say that and use those words that express love and sing those songs. How can we do that and be naive to the fact that that love is going to have to be tested? How, how can we do that and then somehow expect to be fair-weather sailors who never have to be tested? Now, we know that is not the reality of the Christian life. We know the reality of the Christian life is you will have moments of weakness. You will have moments of wounding. How many people get wounded by something and turn against God? How many people get hurt by one of the brethren and get nasty with God? How quick it is for some people to betray their words of love in a moment of weakness and wounding. And Jesus said, he said, if if the test of love is obedience to the commandments, it's choosing to follow the things that he said. Now, we said every true love must be tested to authenticate its reality. We looked at the love that man was to have to God and we saw that God purposed to test that love. 
And we saw that God's love was tested and we saw the love of the Son to the Father and how the Son did not escape the testing of His love. And I want to say to you tonight particularly that the marriage love, which is uniquely a God-ordained love and therefore must come under the banner that here again is a love that must be attested to prove its reality. You see, like Jesus and like Adam and like anyone who had to face the test of love, in the marriage relationship, at some point, adversity is going to visit your home and probably will be a return visitor in some capacity. And adversity can be different things. You know, adversity for Mrs. Job was really watching what happened to him and their finances, and it wasn't so much, well, it was her children, but, but, but for her it was what was happening to others. You know, adversity can be different. You say, Pastor, why doesn't God protect us from that? Well, because the marriage love is a special God-ordained love. And God has to allow it to be tested so it can be authenticated. Now, adversity is the tool that tests the love in the relationship of the man and woman. You know, um, a couple comes to marry and they come up to the the altar and they declare their love one to another and and they profess their love one to another before God and a company of people and and the declaring and the professing is the easy part. Now, sometimes people will make this statement. I've heard them say this. They've said it back in my country. They said, you know, we we were uh, we were so in love when we got married. But, but just, just, uh, over, just over time, you know, our love just sort of uh, diminished and then finally our love just died. Now, that's an incorrect statement on two counts. Number one, if you had a true love in the beginning, a true love can never die or it is not a true love. A love that ceases is not love. Love demands continuity. Love must keep going. The love of God does not cycle in and cycle out. The love of God is highly consistent, predictable. It continues. It's ongoing. It can never die. It can be rejected. It cannot be received, but it can never be stopped. Why not? Because it's real. Because it's authentic. Because you can't stop a real, authentic, God-ordained love. It cannot die any more than God can die. It's ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. And somebody said, well, we were, we were so in love, and you hear this all the time, and, and you know, just things happened, and, and our, our love just died, and now our love is gone. Well, well, that just raises great questions about what was not there in the beginning. And the, the second, the second problem with a, with a statement like that is, is that it implies that somehow when you come to the, the, uh, the wedding day and you step up onto the altar with the one that you love and 
Do you profess your undying love one for the other? That implies that somehow that day is the pinnacle of your love and all after that is somehow a decrease. But the truth of it is that's entirely inconsistent with the Scriptures. The Bible would point to this fact and say that when you stand up here and you say, I do, and you pledge your love one to another, that's only the beginning and the intent is that that that's the small part and that love is to grow and grow and grow and grow. And you've got it round the wrong way. Because what happens here, and you'll see that this is the, the, the plan of God, is that in adversity, every time in the marriage that adversity visits, is going to test what you have. And it's going to test what you have more than anything else will. And all, all the words are going to sound empty, if when that test comes, you do what Adam did and you start making the wrong choices. Because when adversity in marriage comes, it's the choices that we make that demonstrate whether that love is authentic or not. And every time that adversity visits in maybe a little way and maybe sometimes in a great way, and adversity comes and maybe like the Christ, you find that adversity brings you to a point of weakness. Or maybe, may, maybe like the Christ, in your measure of adversity, you find that you have been wounded. And maybe the wounder is very nearby. But even in that measure of adversity, your love is being examined and tested And if, when that adversity visits, you do like he did and you make the right choices, what happens is, is that your love increases. Every time adversity visits and every time you make the right choices and every time you authenticate love, you don't leave it like it was before, you grow it. And that's why in the normal course of true love in action with the couple, your love is ever increasing. The pinnacle is not the beginning when you say, oh, I do. No, the pinnacle is at the end when you've been through adversity together and you've been tested and you've been tried and, and sometimes you felt weak and sometimes you both felt weak and sometimes one of you felt wounded and maybe you felt wounded by what the other did. But even in the face of that wounding, you authenticated your love by making the right choices. And you chose when you got wounded to not wound back. And you chose that that even when certain words were said designed to hurt and cut deep, you chose because your love was real and your love was not dependent on being loved. It was deeper than that. It was of God. It was a love that continued even in the face of not getting an equal reception back. You chose to not respond and not to answer with those same words. Now, every time you do that, you are authenticating the genuineness of the love that you have in your marriage. You, 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 cannot, you cannot marry, you are naive to marry and believe that your love is not going to be tested. See, you, you should do something else. You should get a hobby and love that. That one won't be tested. You should get a pet and fall in love. 
that one won't be tested. But you can't, you can't take another person, a, a man takes a woman, a woman takes a man. You, you can't do that and enter into the sacredness of all that that represents and partake somehow of the mystery of the undying love of the Christ for His church and proclaim that love and enter into that and then have the naive thought that that love is not going to be tested. It absolutely must be tested. It's not, it's not, do you think this will happen? Brethren, this will happen. It's going to happen. And you may say, well, I, well, I don't want that. No, no, it's an opportunity to affirm the reality and the authenticity of what you have. And it's unique. And the Savior had it again and again and again. And every time he was tested, he affirmed by his choices. When he said, I won't make bread. If the Spirit of God has led me here in the wilderness and I shouldn't be eating, I will not eat. I won't do that. Because that would be detrimental to what the Father wants. And His choices in many things, sometimes large and sometimes maybe small, but all of those choices pointed to the fact He didn't just speak of having a love for the Father. It was real and genuine and it could be tested and it was proven. And he lived it over and over again. And you need to understand, when you, when you stood up there and you said, you know, I do and she did too, and, and you, you committed to each other in that way, you're professing that, that this, is, this is a sacred love you have. It's going to be tested. And adversity is going to visit your home. And adversity has many names. And adversity comes wearing many faces. But it's going to come. And adversity might even go to one before it goes to the other. Adversity might seek entry to the home through the corridor of one. But both parties will still be tested. You see, if you've, if you've based your notion on, well, if, if, you know, this is a partnership. You love me and I love you and not, you see, that's, that's, that's not, that's not God love. God's love is not a partnership. God doesn't say, if you will, I will. God said, even if you don't, I will, I do. And you can say to God, I don't want you to. He will anyway. You cannot quench the love of God. You can reject it, but you can never stop it. It's there because it's God-ordained, and that's the kind of love that you're supposed to have in your marriage. That's what God is looking for. And every time you, you, you get in a situation, you have to make a choice. And maybe you face a situation like Jesus did where you do have options. And you will face that. You will have the situation in your home where options will present themselves. That first garden was a place where there were some options. There had to be. It, it couldn't be devoid of that. It wouldn't have been real. And every time Adam declined the option, every time Adam made a choice to say no to something, Adam authenticated his love. And you're going to face a situation in your marriage where you, you, you have choices. And how you respond to those choices 
will reveal more than your words, more than your Valentine's present, more than that ring on her finger and all of that. Your actions in the face of choices presented will reveal whether you have that God-ordained love or not. Now, you can look at that as a, as a fear, or you can look at that as an opportunity to affirm and deepen what you pledged and said that you had. You say, well, well, well you know, if, if, he, if he would change, I, said, no. No, that, that's, you see, that, that's, not, that's not the God love. That's a, that's a bargain. And brethren, in the end, this is about what we choose to do individually. If my wife provokes me or does not provoke me, is no excuse for my conduct as a Christian. My love deserves to be shown to be genuine and authentic, no matter how I'm provoked or whatever choices are presented. If my love is of God, it'll stand. If my love is only as strong as she is, it'll go down when she goes down. So you've got to ask yourself what kind of love you have. When choices present themselves, you know, you're going to face the choice one day about leaving or staying. And you say this, you say, brother, you don't understand, we made a commitment and and I would never walk out on my home. No, No, I'm not talking about that kind of leaving. You can leave and still sleep in your home every night of your life. You know, God said to Moses, he said, go up to the mount and be there. Because you can be on the mount but not be there. You can be in church but be somewhere else. You can be in the marriage, but brother, you're not in the marriage. And when you choose to leave, or you say, no, I'm physically present. Yes, but your kind of leaving is disengagement. That's how you left. You stopped engaging mentally. You don't care anymore. You stop caring. And you don't even listen anymore. You, you left. Your mind just went. You took that from the one that you pledged to love. And you may be bodily present, but you've left. Or you, you, you may disengage at the emotional level. I just don't feel anything anymore. You know, what you feel is what you choose to feel. You say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, you should go to Hollywood. They don't believe it either. You make a choice about what you're going to feel. You choose that. You can disengage intimately. And all appearances, it can be everything's, everything's fine. But you left. You left. And when you leave, you undermine the value of the love that you professed. God's love is a love that stays engaged. And it stays committed. And it stays enduring. And in the face of adversity, it continues. And you're going to have to pledge yourself to the kind of love in your home. That adversity will only strengthen and not diminish. You may say, Pastor, it's hard. Yay. 
Yes, it is. If it wasn't hard, it would be no test at all. You say, but, you know, sometimes other choices start coming in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's what you do in the face of choices. Brethren, we, we, need to, we need to focus on taking hold of what that marital love is supposed to all be about. And we, we need to understand that, that we, we can very well carry on a, an outward, and it's just the love in our home is being constantly shown to not be the love that it's supposed to be. Say, so, oh, but it's hard for us. We're in the ministry. There's been so many tests. We call that adversity. And adversity is designed to strengthen you. It's what you do. Every true love must be tested. And if yours is a true love, then you must receive adversity and prove yourself by the grace of God through it that what you have is not man-ordained but what you have is God-ordained. And every time you do that, you'll go from strength to strength to strength. You won't look back and say, you know, when we got married, that was the pinnacle of our love. It may have been the pinnacle of your attraction. It certainly wasn't the pinnacle of your love. It's just the beginning. And God wants to enlarge that. And may God give you the, the grace and the courage to transparently examine yourself and realize if you've been making excuses about why you don't have to validate your love in that way, or you've been deferring your responsibility, waiting for another to pick up theirs first. So where does it start? It starts with us. Why does it start with us? Because I'm a Christian, and I need to do this for God. It's... it's it's not about what she does or does not do. It's about what I do. I am accountable for my love choices. And you're accountable for yours. May God grant you the grace to see your love grow.